are doomed to extinction because of agriculture. We have raped and pillaged this planet. There is a, a disinformation program, literally, for everyone, no matter who you are and what, what your interests are, uh, what your beliefs are, uh, which, which way you're focusing. There is a website set up just for you to take you in and to vector your thinking and your attention into the way that they want you to think. Categories for things happening in the sky and the cosmos. If you read the scientific reports that come through and put the pieces together, you can see something big is happening. Yes, indeed, something big is happening. Or rather, something big has been happening over the past 10 years or so, and has really ramped the past four or five years. What are we talking about? Well, mainly the large number of what can only be described as Earth changes that have been taking place on our little blue marble. Hello, and welcome to this week's Sock Talk radio show. I'm Joe Quinn, and with me in the studio, as always, is Neil Bradley. Hello, everyone. And this week, Laura's back with us to provide some... Um, some very interesting historical context for our topic. I've got my ears on, Rubber Ducky. Good stuff. And we also have Anna Martin. Now, Anna wears many different hats, but for the purpose of this show, she's wearing her weird weather and earth changes enthusiast hat, and she'll be filling us in on some of the more extreme and bizarre events that have been afflicting our planet of late. Hello. Welcome, Anna. So, who's going to argue with me that some really freaking weird things have been going on on our planet. And I'm not talking about human beings here, because we've discussed that in previous shows. I'm talking just about in terms of weather. They don't have a proper name for earth changes. Earth changes covers volcanoes, tsunamis, typhoons, tornadoes, floods. You know, sinkholes. Sinkholes. I mean, there's just, there's been so much going on. Yeah. In the biosphere, if you want to call it that, and it includes, I mean, leaving out humans, you could, let's just include all of those things I just mentioned and animals, because that figures into what we're going to discuss as well. So, um, while people are thinking about whether they want to argue with me on that point or not, whether or not there's been really weird, freaking things going on, um, we're going to uh, we're going to get into talking about it. And if anybody wants to call in at any point, the uh, on the blog talk radio. Stock Talk Radio show page, you can see the number, but in, in case you're listening from there, the number is from the U.S. 718-508-9499. Uh, 001 before that if you're outside the U.S. So, Neil, tell me about some of the weird things that I'm talking about here uh, over the past few years that have been going on on our planet. Well, it, it seems hardly a day goes by that you don't hear that some record or other has been broken, mm-hmm. whether it's precipitation, rainfall, um, a record snowfall, record cold, record heat. Right. Not localized usually, but you get some record heat. Um, record storms. Uh-huh. Record earthquakes. That's something that caught my eye today when I was... When I was uh, doing some research, research for the show, and I thought... What's a record earthquake? Well, not a record earthquake, although we have had some oh, large ones. You mean record, record numbers? numbers. Yeah. Earthquakes. Okay. Um, I think USGS data points to 
two-fold increase in earthquakes over magnitude five or five and a half. Okay, and that's interesting because last week we talked about this startling increase in the number of fireballs and meteorites since uh, just over the U.S. actually because that's the only place that um, they're really collected and recorded over the U.S. since 2005, you know. So I wonder if there's some kind of correlation between a large number of space rocks flying through our skies and the or the, the record number, I suppose it would be, uh, and the record number of, of these other earthbound uh, events. I think we can definitely say there is because so often people um, uh, record either because they felt it or official seismic uh, monitors pick up um, earthquakes, but they're not the typical... Uh, they they don't fit within the range of what are typically expected from earthquakes. You know, they don't have the proper waves. Um, so you, you get a lot of earthquake-type noises that, in fact, uh, they're left open because they can't really categorize them as earthquakes. Right, so you're saying there could be some kind of uh, overhead meteorite explosion causing a boom that no one necessarily saw, maybe because it was the middle of the day, maybe it was one of these and other such things, invisible fireballs, I don't know. But people are hearing booms, not all around the world, and they're yeah. ascribing them to either plate tectonics or they don't really know. Right. Well, they call them mystery booms. Yeah. I've seen countless articles about you know, sonic booms or mystery booms where no one knows where they come from. Mm-hmm. The USGS and, and other uh, official bodies cannot tell you because they didn't pick up a, an earthquake. And yet there, there are these localized tremors uh, with short bursts perhaps that okay. – uh, Clearly point to well, all of this kind of began for me, uh, or <coughs> the, the point that when, when I started to sit up and take notice was really. I mean, I've been watching it for many years, but when I really sat up and t- took notice was uh, 2011, the winter, December 2010, January 2011, when uh, the first thing that caught my eye was this large number of animal die-offs. Right. In, uh, at the end of, of 2010, beginning of 2011, we had this, um, there were a large number of bird die-offs, fish die-offs, basically different kind of sea animals uh, and animals in rivers and lakes and also birds. And there was a, we, we wrote an art about, article about it at the time about this, uh, this, this mass bird die-off over Beebe, Arkansas. Right, and blackbirds. We, yeah, blackbirds fell from the sky. And we put that down to basically an overhead meteorite burst at that time, but there were many other bird die-offs and fish die-offs, and it's hard to know whether they're they would be direct, they would be uh, related to the same to the same kind of fireball activity. But then um, the really weird thing was that one year later, almost to the day, it was to the day, it was the uh, same night. Yeah, I mean that really puts a kind of high strangeness yeah factor on it there. You know what I mean? I mean it's almost like I mean how how does how how do these fireballs? Uh, how do they how do they plan this you know a year in advance type of thing to if that's what it was you know but basically birds fell out of the sky in the same area to the day one year later uh, and then 2011 was very interesting 2011 you had um, in February you had that major Christchurch earthquake right then New Zealand a cup in New Zealand then a couple of weeks later you had the massive earthquake in Japan and the major tsunami. And then later on that year, you had this massive cyclone Yazi in Australia, that, that right? Basically covered almost all of Australia or half of Australia. And you also had a major eruption of a Chilean volcano at the time that the smoke spread all the way across the Pacific over to uh, 
over to Australia and New Zealand, you know. So 2009 for me was a year when even if you weren't really paying attention to this kind of thing, you should have sat up and, and took notice, you know. And yeah. since then, it's just been it's just been continuing. It's been nonstop in terms of, you know, yeah. wild, weird weather, animal die-offs have continued, you know, um, major storms, uh, you yeah. know, harsh winters, you know, floods, crops destroyed by floods, either, or, or crops destroyed by drought, one or the other, by drought in the U.S., by by floods in the UK, for example. So, yeah, it's... Um, Laura, have you got a comment on this? Or are we doing okay? <laughs> <laughs> I take your silence to be approval. Uh, well, I was actually moving my microphone a little closer right. because I was going to say something. I was going to point it. out the fact you knew it. Knew How it. did you get? A look in your face. Well, <clears throat> at least this week I don't have curlers in my hair. Yep. <laughs> That's a blessing. Blessing. <laughs> Uh, no, I was going to say that uh, the one thing that, that uh, really amazes me is that uh, six, seven, eight, ten years ago, when these types of things, uh, mainly the fireballs or the meteorites uh, that were landing on the ground, because it's not a meteorite till it hits the ground, yeah. um, that they would say this is a once in a hundred year, once in a century event. And then a few years later, after it happened a few more times, it was a once-in-a-lifetime event. And then a year or two later, then it became a once-in-a-decade event. And then a little while later, it became um, – this occasionally happens. And then now, all of a sudden, it's a frequent event. And, you know, it's just basically go back to sleep, nothing to see here, uh, despite the fact that when I was growing up and – even even as recently as as ten years ago, people were still saying that this is these, these things are once in a century events. Mm-hmm. And I have a book about uh, asteroids and comets. Comets that begins with nobody has ever been injured by a meteorite. When was that published? Um, back in the late seventies, early eighties. Right. And since then, plenty of people have been hit by meteorites. Well, the thing is, is that even at that point, it wasn't true because I have compiled a list of, you know, near misses, uh, actual hits, destruction of property, injury of human beings. There's, there, there's, you know, quite a scattering of those events throughout uh, throughout time. But it really, really is. It's intensifying. It's increasing at, at a remarkable level. And I just wanted to point out that... Uh, uh, you know, if anybody thinks that this is not an increasing and intensifying period of this kind of activity, please, you know, check the check the material, check the records, do the research, find out it is. It's it's happening, and it's bizarre. That's it. Absolutely. Um, Over and out, rubber ducky. All right. <laughs> ten four. Ten four. Um, we uh, yeah. I mean so. I don't know. We'd like some people to call in here and, and tell us if they, not necessarily if they, you know, agree or disagree. Well, if you agree or disagree, you can call in and tell us. But um, maybe if you can tell us about the kind of uh, awareness that you perceive in your community or with your family or friends or whatever about these kind of things, if anybody uh, that you know that isn't generally interested in this kind of thing or doesn't keep up with it in the way that you might do, if any, if any of them are aware or have, have have made any comment about it, or if any of them are 
you know, crap on themselves uh, as they should be. That's not very <laughs> Sorry. nice. Sorry, that's. I want to. I want to kick in here. We've got a list of uh, news items. I mean, it's it's quite a lengthy list. In fact, I'm just going to hit the one that showed up in the last day or so, which is that the Northern Hemisphere set a new all-time record cold temperature of minus 96.1 degrees Fahrenheit in Oymyakon, Siberia. That's 71.2, minus 71.2 centigrade. And it shatters the previous record of minus 68 uh, centigrade, which is minus 90.4 Fahrenheit, which was set in 1933. Mm -hmm. So it's been... That long since the record was set, it hasn't been broken in all of those years, which is, uh, by my by my counting, is 70, 80, 80-some years since uh, uh, that, that record's been broken. And I don't know if any of y'all have ever tried cryotherapy. I have, and in cryotherapy, you get in a chamber, and it rapidly, you know, by, the, by liquid uh, nitrogen, they drop your temperature on you, and I mean, I've I've stood in this chamber and looked at the temperature in the chamber that I'm standing in, basically naked except for my underwear and a pair of socks. Uh, and let me tell you what, it's freaking cold, and I've, and, and the temperature goes down to eighty, minus eighty, minus eighty Fahrenheit. No. Oh, no, I think it was centigrade. Centigrade. Yeah. Yeah, it was centigrade, wasn't it? Yeah. It was freaking cold, and I mean, it's like for needles. Seconds. Yeah. How long did they make a stand wow. in that thing? I mean, it got it got to the peak low temperature for you know ten twenty seconds. It was a minute and a minute and a half or something like that total. Up to three minutes. It yeah. built down, yeah. you know, it built down if I can say that to that temperature. It, it dropped. It dropped progressively to that temperature. Yeah. So, but yeah, a minute and a half was more than enough. You can get burned. We were there for more than a minute and a half, weren't we? Three minutes, one to three minutes. I don't know. Three minutes is the maximum, I think. That was for the brave people. Uh, but it burns you, yeah. So uh, minus eighty. Right now, it's like the whole world is getting well. At least the northern hemisphere is getting a uh, dose of cos- yeah. cosmic cryotherapy. Yeah. Yeah, um, but at the same time, you're also having periods record heat. Australian heat wave nears fifty degrees centigrade inland. Nah, I mean, nah, fifty degrees. Yeah, fifty. Yeah, they have to put a new a new color on their bar. In, in Australia, a few months. Back. I don't even know what that's Fahrenheit because they don't give the figure here, and I'm. That's like 120, maybe or 120 something. Or 120 more, something. more than that. Could yeah. be more. Okay, we got record snowfall closes lifts and roads in the Pyrenees. 11 meters of snow. Now a meter is 39 inches, according to what I remember from about my 30, 35 feet. Yeah, that's 35 feet of snow. Now just. You know, that's taller than most houses. From what I understand, you know, mm-hmm. houses and cars are covered and there's no traffic moving or anything over there. 11 meters of snow. Now we've got the snowiest winter in 100 years in Moscow. And this was from the 5th of February. And you put that together with the, the northern hemisphere sets all, uh, you know, in 80 years, the lowest temperature record. So we've got the snowiest winter in 100 years. And then we've got a Tucson blizzard. They were playing golf in sunny Tucson, right? And they got a blizzard. Can you believe that? Um, snow in Phoenix. Uh, these are just headlines. A Mediterranean deluge. Cloudbursts dump copious quantities of rain on Catania, Sicily, and Athens. Flash flooding puts Athens, Greece, underwater. 
following one of the worst thunderstorms we've ever seen. Okay, another one. Downpours make 2012 England's, England's wettest year on record. They don't say since when. They just say on record ever. since ever. Yeah, since they kept records. Yeah. 2011 was the deadliest tornado season in 50 years. Um Christmas storm in 2012 brings record tornado outbreak. When did you ever hear of tornadoes well, in the winter time? I mean, come on. When I was growing up, and I'm 60 some years old, I'm not even going to admit to how old I am. But you know, when I was growing up, I just did, didn't I? <laughs> Close enough, yeah. Um, no, you never had tornadoes in the winter time. Tornadoes was a spring or an autumn phenomenon. You didn't have them in the winter time. Yeah, well, a- well, April. They had, April 2011 was the the Joplin one. Uh, yeah, there's usually it's in the spring. From Missouri, but that that was that was really bad. That was a mile wide and killed 138 people. You know, so yeah. that that wasn't your average tornado. You know. Yeah, and, and of, co- of course we've got cyclone frequency increasing. Texas suffers record drought. Um, and well, I mean, there's geez, there's another whole list here. City scorches, record high temperature. Croatia snowfall shatters record. Phoenix to break 25 year record low. Chicago expected to tie record for lack of snow. While at the same time, it's snowing down in Tuscan. Tucson. 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 He's Irish. You have to forgive him for that. <laughs> I, I'm Irish as well. I knew it was Tucson. So. <laughs> oh, well, good for you. Yeah. <laughs> Anyhow, so we've got the greatest snow on record for December in the Northern Hemisphere. Record cold snap grips the Korean Peninsula. Snow coverage sets new record for the U.S. That's January of 2013. Record-breaking snowfall in Montreal, heavy snow in South Korea breaks December record. Um, and oh, jeez, how many think, pages of this did you print out? Good lord! Uh, it's going back a year. These are records broken in just for just weather. just in the year. Okay, Shimla, India witnesses eight-year record-breaking snowfall in a single day. NASA's alarming map of the worst Australian heat wave on record. Winter storm Caesar dumps record-breaking snow in Minnesota, Wisconsin, and South Dakota. Erratic swings of the jet stream leave southern U.S. baking in record December heat. November brings record highs without rainfall. Get this one. 218 inches of snow in four days, Mount Shasta. What is 218 inches? I mean, they give these figures, you know, in such yeah. variable terms. Well, how many How many meters is that? What? Uh, 12 inches a foot, so you've got uh, 120 to 10. You've got a bit less than 20 feet. 20 feet, and that's basically that's six meters. Yeah, roughly. Of snow. In four Jeez. days. But, <laughs> Go but ahead. I noticed you mentioned um, you mentioned record heat there, so obviously we're talking about global warming here, right? I think we're just talking about extreme weather uh in whatever context it is, I mean, you're probably having heat when it's when it's not supposed to be hot. You're having cold when it's supposed to be warm. You're having record. I mean, the, the whole record-breaking thing is just freaking bizarre. I mean, and, and we don't really have any scientists giving us rational explanations for this because obviously we can't trust those IPP, IPCC guys who are saying it's all global warming. You have to kill all the cows so they won't be passing gas. It's worse than that. Some of them are uh, some of them are deliberately lying to us. 
Well, of course they are. They're hiding the, the decline, or they try to hide the decline. Uh, so if someone, and I mean, that whole thing with uh, the East Anglia Institute, the Climate Gate, Climate Research uh, Centre in, uh, in in the UK, where those leaked emails show that they were, that these scientists were, some of them were conspiring to hide evidence. Consciously for, and deliberately. But that brings, we're in the conspiracy territory now. Why would they do that? Well, I have my theory. Everybody knows what my theory is, don't they? Uh, no. Well, they don't. They don't want people to know that Earth changes are really happening. But they're telling people on uh, under the global warming theory that, that there global... will be Earth changes, or well, not necessarily Earth changes, but climate change. Only of the global warming variety, we which wish. can cause floods and all this kind of stuff. But generally, it's a warming overall. So they want to stop people getting the idea that they're going to be freezing their buns off. Yes. And but they also put it back quite a few years. They don't they don't talk about any kind of immediacy to any change. So this is kind of I mean, I've been thinking about why they would want, even if they put it back a few years, why they're okay with telling people that the planet's going to warm up and we're going to have crazy weather, droughts, and all this kind of stuff and floods. They don't mention snow too much. They say the glaciers will retreat and there'll be milder milder winters, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But they are saying that there'll be some kind of climate change and it'll be pretty bad on humanity. But they want to, they, they do not want to talk about any kind of an ice age or global cooling. Why? Well, because, well, I suppose it's because it's man-made, right? Because the idea is... Well, but if you, you, can, can, really... if you can blame people for it, then you can charge them money and you can get rich on their suffering. Right. So the whole idea behind global warming is that global warming can be tied to, ma- to, to human pr- production of, of, of CO2. CO2 or whatever burning of fossil fuels, but global cooling cannot. Well, what they've done is they've adapted the global warming concept. Now they can actually say that, well, all this freezing weather we're having, it too is a result of global warming. So you've got... They actually can say that. Yeah, warming temperatures give more precipitation... And there's more precipitation in the system, and somehow explain that that's what results in colder winters with more snow. But that wasn't the story they were giving us ten years ago. I remember reading that we would not be able to ski in ten years' time. About ten years yeah, ago, yeah, the glaciers were melting, and there was something going on in Tibet where all the snow was going away, right. and and there were poor uh, polar bears that didn't have any more ice. Yep. And and the, the whole thing and oh the other thing that's going to come with global warming was going to be the rise in the sea level that yeah. all of these places along the uh, coastlines were going to be inundated because with the Greenland ice sheet and the Arctic and Antarctic ice sheets uh, melting as they were proclaiming there you know all that was going to turn into water mm-hmm. so the, what, the sea level would rise and if you were living in coastal areas. Over a course of decades, you'd be in danger of being inundated. What I want to know is why the IPC, IPCC never said anything about you know the tremendous increase of storm activity, the tremendous increase of snow, and and the horrible things that are actually happening, the increase in earthquakes, the tsunamis, the volcanic eruptions, sinkholes. Sinkholes. I mean, why didn't they warn us about any of this stuff? You know, I mean, if they're so all wise and all knowing. And they could sit there and issue this stupid report, you know, based on false data. You know, why didn't they tell us something true? 
Well, because they would scare people, right? Well, of course they would scare people, but they're scaring people anyway because they're scaring people out of their money. Exactly. Well, they're scaring people kind of. They're scaring people by – people are have been – they sort of been anticipating climate change, but it's, it's projected well into the future. So, yeah, it's dangerous and, and will scare you, but – It's far off and recoverable. Exactly. You can do something about it. Yeah, if you just recycle and – you know, buy those mercury mercury laden uh, eco light bulbs. Just don't break them because you might die. But you know, stop using traditional light bulbs. Well, there's another thing. I think that you know when they talk about the difference between it being too hot or too cold, everybody thinks, well, if it gets too hot, you know, you can sit really still, you know, turn a fan on or be in the air conditioning or. Or you could travel north even to where it's cooler. But if you start thinking about things getting really colder all over the planet, you know, nobody likes to be cold. Well, I mean, there's some really weird people, and and there's some even in this house that take cold showers after they got exposed to cryotherapy. But uh, at the same time, people, as as a rule, don't like to be cold. Mm-hmm. It can be painful. Yeah, being cold is pain. In fact, there's even a theory that the, that the Ice Age... The coldness of the Ice Age is what drove uh, evolution because cold was painful and creatures learned how to uh, build fires and cook food and or they accidentally cooked food after they built the fire. So uh, there's some theory yeah. that, that the pain of cold drove people to get smarter. Yeah, maybe that's where cannibal, cannibalism came from originally. They invented fire and then somebody fell into it. <laughs> <laughs> And they were like dinner, um, but yeah, there's a there's just some uh, a listener that just sent us in a an article from Thought.net. It's a flashback from 2008. Ice ages start and end so suddenly it's like a button was pressed. Say scientists. This is true. Yeah, well, this is interesting. There is research that doesn't fall under the man-made global warming stick, um, and it's uh, it's really interesting. So ice ages have passed have not only formed much quicker than previously thought, but there's another report out there describing how they can happen within six months. Yeah, well, this one says, this discovery suggests that our climate change could undergo a similar rapid change, shifting back into ice age mode in just one year. And the thing about an ice age is, is that large areas of the planet would then be under ice sheet, like, for example, England. Uh, the last ice age, it was under how many meters of ice? I mean, I think it was under several miles of ice. Not enough. <laughs> spoken, Sorry. Spoken like a true Irishman. Sorry to all our English listeners. I don't mean that. It's just for Tony Blair. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, if you if you have all of these northern areas covered in ice and then the more temperate areas that are closer to the equator, they are also drier, which means that there is less food production. So you're looking at conditions that basically mean uh, starvation for 80, 90% of the planet's population. And that's, you know, that's kind of a scary thought. And we are, we're already, because of the weather changes, facing, you know, problems with food supply. Um Prices are going up, reflecting this shortage, and it's just, you know, it's not going to get any better, I don't think. Oh, 
Um, definitely not. <clears throat> I mean, that's something that um, that obviously has serious implications, or, or what we're talking about has serious implications for the food supply. I mean, we've had these droughts um, in the U.S. over the past couple of years and floods in the U.K. But before we get into that, I just wanted to make the point here that obviously Al Gore is a liar and he's a scam artist. Uh, all of the ice core data shows that CO2 in our atmosphere follows warming, i.e. the planet warms, and then a few hundred years later, the levels of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere increase. So it's the warming, some factor, some something causes the planet to warm, and then CO2 increases. It has, and that is the way it has uh, been done, or the way it has occurred for thousands of years. And and ice core, all the ice core data shows that. And whatever it is, is something that happens at regular intervals, like clockwork, like every 100,000 years. And I think, is, from what I recall from the data, we're really rather overdue for the onset of an ice age. And I mean a serious ice age, not just a mini ice age, like the Maunder Minimum or some other, some other periods when it got really cold. And uh, when these ice ages come on, you know, it's just it, they, they do it very quickly. Yeah, absolutely. The global warming business, well, we can just dispense with global warming because it is a complete lie. And like I said, Al Gore's a liar and a scam artist. And he has made a lot of money from companies that he set up that invested in these kind of green technologies that he was trying to push uh, governments around the world to invest in. And then they would uh, use or the services employ the services of his companies to to greenify or go green, basically. Well, that's like the whole terror industry. You create a war on terror, and then all of your companies that make uh, uh, machines that uh, deprive people of their privacy when they're going through an airport or uh, tasers or uh, you know various types of, of crowd control technology and so on and so forth, you know, they're all getting rich, rich as creases. Mm-hmm. on government contracts. And meanwhile, the government is going further and further into the red to pay all this money to these companies. You know, somewhere it's, somewhere it's got to come from somebody. And, of course, naturally those somebodies are the people who don't have that much money. So I guess the you know, solution is people will just have to sell themselves, become slaves, mm-hmm. and um, and then that will balance the federal budget. Absolutely. So it's basically we're talking about corruption, and it's, <clears throat> excuse me, it's not like um, it's not like governments haven't meddled and distorted scientific evidence before. Uh, I mean, there's clear evidence that governments have done that when the uh, the work of scientists didn't jibe with their money making schemes and their cronyism uh, with uh, big business. They've basically suppressed it. And deliberately, I mean, there's this guy that we were uh, we were watching a, a video on GMOs the other day, and uh, he's a he's a Hungarian um, biochemist and nutritionist. Um, his name's Arpad Pustai. Yeah, and he was working for 25 years in in a research institute in Aberdeen in Scotland. Uh, he was an ex- he is an expert on plant lectins, and he's authored 270 papers and three books on the subject, and in 1998, he was looking at GMO potatoes, and he was uh, feeding them to mice, and he was finding all these problems. And he basically, on in a 90-second interview, he came out and he said, "Listen, I wouldn't eat these things um, based on my research. Uh, 
and he's a hardcore scientist and it was you know very well uh, done research it was all above board and uh, the mice were basically dying and having deformed offspring and, and things like that and he said no way I wouldn't until and this is 1998 no way would he eat this and and uh, should point, point yeah. out that he was doing his research to to, to pass flying colors to yeah. GMOs. He didn't enter this with any suspicions or, no. or, or yeah. negative approach. And because he came up with the wrong results. Um, and initially, the director of the institute was ecstatic about it because yeah. it was a big news and it was going to be publicity for the institute. And he put out press releases extolling Putsai's um, work. His results, and then he got a call from the office of newly elected Prime Minister Tony Blair, who we can only assume had before that received a call from the office of Monsanto. So Blair basically had a talk with the director, and within a day, uh, Bustai was fired from his job. Thirty-five years. Of thirty-five years of impeccable research, and the project was, was shut down. And the they, project was shut down, and they, they took all the data from him. He and didn't he, have it, and he was vilified. And this was—I mean, this is public pu- public knowledge that Blair directly, in the service of obviously in the service of big agribusiness, specifically probably Monsanto and Syngenta and companies like that, um, destroyed this guy's career because he produced hard data. He's good not research. the only one. There are so many scientists, so many really good scientists who have been destroyed by politics because their devotion to truth is uh, is greater than their, you know, liking for the dollar. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, so the problem is is rife just as much in. Global warming. Absolutely. Well, that's that's the parallel here. I mean, it's, yes, they've done. They, they did do it in so many different fields of uh, or areas of science, and it's the same thing we're dealing with in terms of climate research and what is really going on on our planet. And they don't want people to know because maybe not necessarily. I don't know if it ties into big business, but someone somewhere for a long time has wanted to make sure that the people do not know what is really going on on the planet, and they fed them the global warming lie, that it's your fault, you know, recycle your food, or recycle your, your trash, um, and go green, and everything will be fine. When it's bullshit, because there's stuff going on that is clearly way beyond the ability of anything in this planet to control, any government or any leader or any person to control. Well, you know, there was a an article that we put on SOT, we carried on SOT today, uh, or possibly yesterday or today, but it's um, one of the best of web, which is comparing the uh, uh, the collapse of Rome to the current civilization. And, you know, it's an interesting little thing because basically all it does is make political comparisons. Uh, the political comparisons are really accurate as far as they go. But they don't really talk about some of the other things that were going on in Rome at the time of the collapse of the Roman Empire. And as you all know, these are the topics that I'm working with in in the current series of Secret History book, and I'm approaching uh, the collapse of Rome. And one of the reasons I've gone after it this way, in this slow, deliberate way in these books, is I want to really chronicle what was going on during those times 
for everybody to be fully aware that uh, what we're seeing here and now is more than just political comparisons. There are global climate, uh, social, environmental, uh, environmental, economic comparisons to be drawn. And uh, uh, I don't know, well, most people aren't really terribly into history because history is taught in such a boring way that most people you know, really get turned off to it, which is really sad because to me, history is the biggest uh, mystery of our time. And what Joe just said, which is that uh, somebody's been covering things up for a long time. Well, they've been covering them up for a lot longer than anybody ever suspects because in point of fact... Uh, the Chronicles of the 4th Century uh, do not mention that there was a whole lot of cometary activity running in the background. Based on the records kept by the Chinese court astronomers, that century had the highest flux of comets on record. Uh, They have comets listed in uh, 295, which was Halley's, and then there was in 300, 301, 302, 303, 305, another in 305, one in 315, one in 329, 336, 340, 343, 349, 358, 363, 374, which was Haley's again, um, 383, and another one in 390. And the fact that these things were not mentioned by the Western chroniclers of that time is truly astonishing. So the point I'm trying to make is is that it's important to keep in mind that there was a constant fearful cosmic pressure on the Roman Empire in the century or two leading up to its complete collapse. And, you know, I've got a little printout here of some of the events that were happening during that time that I was thinking I was going to read some of it to you because... Uh, some of these things are so interesting, and I don't think people are aware of them. Everybody knows that in 312, Constantine went to Rome to deal with his usurping co-emperor and brother-in-law, Maxentius, and uh, that on the evening of October 27th, you know, their their two legions, their two groups of legions, met at the Milvian Bridge on the Tiber River. Uh, the Church chronicler Eusebius wrote in his book, The Life of Constantine that before this battle, above the setting sun the night before the battle, Constantine and his troops saw a cross in the sky, and above it were the words, Hoc signo victor eris, which means, in this sign you shall be victorious. Uh, supposedly that night, Christ appeared to him with the cross and told him to use it as a guardian. The next morning, he had the sign of God placed on his helmet and the shields of his men. Eusebius claimed that he was given this account by the emperor himself years afterward, but another chronicler, another Christian chronicler of very dubious reliability named Lactantius, uh, a few years later wrote that Constantine actually had a vision of Apollo at the temple in Gaul, who instructed him to place the celestial sign of God on their shields prior to going into battle. But in any event, whatever was happening was that... uh, it turns out that some researchers discovered that there was actually an event at that time uh, in a place called Prati del Sorrenti, a mountainous highland north of the Sorrenti Massif in the Apennines, which is 13 kilometers from the small village of Cesenaro, 
uh, in the late 1990s, the peculiar appearance of the ridge uh, attracted the attention of geologist Ben Zormo, a Swedish impact crater specialist. He set up a research team along with some colleagues from the International Research School of Planetary Science, and they decided to look into this matter. And what they found was that there was a, a large crater and a crater field that was composed of 30 individual depressions in the Sorrenti area. Now, until people experience this recent Russian fireball exploding, it would be a little bit difficult to understand why there were 30 impressions in the ground. But when you hear, can, can, can we hear that again? You want to hear the explosions? Oh, I think we could probably. I mean, there's so many. Ex- I should indulge to you here, Laura. Yeah, indulge me. Play it again. They just keep going. Because what I want to draw your attention to is all those multiple smaller explosions. Now, I don't know how many of y'all have really studied the Tunguska impact, but one of the features of the Tunguska impact is a lot of oblong um, depressions in the ground that are from multiple smaller blasts. It wasn't just a single large blast. It was probably very much like this one we just heard, where there are many multiple smaller blasts. And the reason for that is, is comets, comet fragments, uh, you know, they can, as soon as they separate from the main body, they basically have a life of their own. And comets do tend to fragment. That's what they do. They fragment. And there have been many witnesses of comet fragmentation in the sky, where there's lots of photographs uh, on the internet that you can get of like uh, Common Holmes and a few others and uh, Shoemaker Levy is one of the chief examples. Shoemaker Levy with all of its you know twenty twenty however many uh, pieces that impacted Jupiter, boom boom boom, one after the other. But it can happen on a smaller scale as we just heard, where uh, you know one fragment comes into the atmosphere, it fragments, and there's a great uh, Thunderbolts uh, video on that where they show like a negative image of the comet exploding and all the little pieces that are blowing off of it, and each one of those pieces becomes an impactor on its own, which is the cause of all these multiple explosions. So anyhow, at Sorrenti, there are these 30 uh, smaller impact craters, and uh, when you consider the story of the impacts that were uh, theorized to have occurred 13,000 years ago, 
uh, all across the globe that destroyed all the megafauna on the planet and left what's called the Carolina Bays, and you realize there's a hundred or over a hundred thousand of them. You're talking about some massive, massive cometary explosions, and they, are, you know, some of these bays are like the sizes of lakes, and in fact, many of them are lakes. They've become lakes. But anyway, so we've got the uh, the Sorrento crater, and what we have here is that an impact generating a crater the size of the Sorrento crater would have been visible from a great distance as a flaming fireball with an extended trail of smoke behind it exploding in a pyrotechnic show of bolides or as a mushroom cloud of about one kiloton nuclear bomb. An account of just such an event is contained in a local uh, Italian story that is supposed to explain the region's religious conversion from paganism to Christianity. This oral legend has been suggested to be a possible historical recording of that impact event. Let me read it to you. Interesting. Here is the actual recording of the. Uh, uh, it's a written recording, a written record of the story that's told. It so goes. It was in the afternoon. An uproar hit the mountain and quartered the giant oaks, announcing the violent arrival of goddess. Mm-hmm. A sudden and intense heat overwhelmed the people, and a shout echoed all around splitting the air with its trail of violence. Well, you just heard what that sounds like, and if you've been you know, paying attention watching the videos on the Internet, you know what it looks like, too. All of a sudden, over there in the distance, in the sky, a new star never seen before, bigger than the other ones, came nearer and nearer, appeared and disappeared behind the top of the eastern mountains. People's eyes looked at the strange light growing bigger and bigger, Soon, the star shone as large as a new sun. Remember what you were seeing on the Russian meteorite? Meteor, whatever it was. Soon, the star shone as large as a new sun. An irresistible, dazzling light pervaded the sky. Okay? Irresistible. The oak leaves shuddered, discolored, and curled up. The forest lost its sap. The Sorrente was shaking. In a tremendous rumble, the statue sank into a sudden chasm. The satyrs and bacantes fell down senseless. A huge silence fell. It seemed as if time had stopped in the ancient wood near the temple at the foot of the Sorrente, and it looked like the mountain had never existed. The entire valley became dumb. Not a breath of wind be heard, nor a sheep bleeding from the numerous herds, nor a rustle from the trees, nor a human sound. After an endless period of time, when stars shone in the sky without the moon, a new breeze came to stir the leaves. Sheep were heard again, and the mountain was dressed in the light of a new dawn. Faint stars disappeared, blue sky slowly came back, and the Sorrente became a golden mountain in the first rays of the new sun. Oh, charming. Mm. It looked like the valley was full of roses, newly awake. Men listened closely to the death rattle of the goddess at the foot of the wood, and then they saw the statue of the Madonna with the holy child in her arms who was sitting on a throne of light surrounded by light. Well, it obviously uh, acquired... A religious gloss? Yeah, yeah, a a little bit of a gloss there in the telling and retelling. In any event, radiocarbon dating fixed the formation of the main crater within the 4th or the 5th century A.D., 
And it was also noted that in the 4th century A.D., the time we're talking about here, a local Roman village was abandoned. Local Christian catacomb dating back to the same century uh, was suddenly filled up with many cadavers piled in a hurried manner due to some calamity. The conjecture is that this event actually occurred in 312 A.D. and is what Constantine saw. And that what he may have seen could have been something like a mushroom cloud of a comet overhead explosion, just exactly what we just recently experienced on a very much smaller scale in Russia. So that was uh, about 1,600 years ago. Mm -hmm. And it was also at the height of an empire that had become extremely corrupt. Extremely corrupt. Well, the corruption... The corruption of Rome really began huh, almost from the beginning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, can, you can hardly think of a, of a spot where things really got bad, but uh, I would say during the time, pre- you know, immediately preceding Caesar was when things were as bad as they could possibly get. And of course, you know that after Caesar was assassinated, uh, the, the republic ended, and they then went to having emperors. Mm-hmm. And, it was just a new level of corruption, really. Yeah. So from going going to, going to emperors, and then there was so what um, two, three, four hundred years of of empire mm-hmm. of extreme, extremely corrupt empire, and then you know it just disappeared. Yeah, it really did kind of disappear. But here's another another item that I've collected for my for my next book, and y'all are getting some inside stuff here on the next book. But the thing is, uh, the next thing that Eusebius records is he gives a detailed description of famine and epidemics that fell on the empire in the winter of 312-313. He says, the normal winter rain did not come, and I quote, when, without warning, famine struck, followed by pestilence and an outbreak of a different disease, a malignant pustule, which because of its fiery appearance was known as a carbuncle. They spread over the entire body, causing great danger to the sufferers, but the eyes were the chief target for attack, and hundreds of men, women, and children lost their sight. Mm-hmm. So this uh, this comet was accompanied by <clears throat> pestilence, pestilence, or plague. And pustules. Uh, it, well, don't keep saying that word. <laughs> you said it first. <clears throat> I only read it. Well... We don't like the word. It's on the record now. So famine and pestilence was raging, and when you consider that along with the the Sorrenti impact crater, the whole uh, conversion of Constantine takes on a whole different light now, doesn't it? It does indeed. And there's also striking or perhaps startling parallels with today. Uh, Like we just mentioned, you know, you had an empire at the height of corruption, and you had... You have these historical accounts of fireballs in the sky and bodies piled high and stuff. We we haven't quite got there yet. Certainly in terms of the corruption we have, we're just starting to see the first major incidences of fireballs well, in the sky. It, well, I mean, doing some damage on the ground. Of course, there's been a large number of them spotted and seen in the skies. The problem is, is people think about earth changes or, quote, the end of the world, unquote, and they all think that it's got to happen in a day. You know, everybody's going to be transformed. They're either going to be airlifted to the sky or they're going to be, 
you know, yeah, they're going to be raptured or airlifted by aliens, or conversely, they're going to be damned to some kind of you know horrible scorpionic appearance appearances on the planet where these giant creatures are going to stomp around and cause everybody misery. You know, they're going to be the tribulation, whatever. You know, the thing is, is that. The historical record shows that the world has ended. It's ended numerous times, uh, you know, and I say the world ending in the sense of, you know, the environment becomes so stressed that lots of people die, um, things get very, very bad and go very quiet for a while while human beings struggle to recover uh, the arts of civilization. And then the new world is a, is a completely different thing. It's It's you know, quite different from the world that went before. So you could say that the world that was before did end. But these things happen over time. And I would say that probably the beginning of our end of the world was 1908 when Tunguska was uh, uh, impacted mm-hmm. by an explosion. So we've already, we're, we're well over 100 years. Our cell by date? Well, into the process. And things are just getting, and it's and it follows very closely the process that I have discovered was going on in Rome. It it begins, you know, like, for example, um, uh, Constantine's event in 312, the Sorrenti uh, impact would have been kind of like a Tunguska event. Mm -hmm. And then things got a little bit more interesting because um, in 365, which is, uh, what, uh, 53 years later? Thereabouts. Yeah. Uh, there was a, a strange tsunami, and this tsunami was uh, recorded. It was it was so unusual that it was recorded by quite a number of the ancient chroniclers. Now you have to dig for this stuff. There's a lot of things that you have to get. I mean, you can get Amianus Marcellinus uh, in the Loeb Classical Library sets, but uh, some some of the material that I've got. Just going into this book, I've had to actually get it translated myself because a lot of it simply isn't in, you know, any modern language. Uh, the scholars keep this stuff to themselves. It's in the ancient Greek or the ancient Latin, and they sit around and read it and pass it back and forth between each other and say, ooh, we're not going to translate that for the public. They don't need to know that. Well, guess what? <clears throat> it's going to happen. Anyway, Amianus tells us about the tsunami of 365, so let me describe this to you. Uh, skipping over the material that dates uh, the event, which was when so-and-so was a consul, etc. He says, Fearsome terrors suddenly strode through the whole circle of the world, with the like of which neither legends nor truthful ancient histories tell us. Slightly after daybreak, and heralded by a thick succession of fiercely shaken thunderbolts. Now keep in mind, that they there was really only one word that they used interchangeably for thunderbolts, for lightning, uh, you know, and for thun- the actual sound of thunder in the sky. Uh, there was one word that was for the flash of light, but you know, they they really didn't have the language to accurately describe what they were talking about. But here he says a thick succession of fiercely shaken thunderbolts. Well, that sounds rather like what we just heard on our little audio of the uh, the Russian uh, comet fragment explosion. He says, The solidity of the whole earth was made to shake and shudder, and the sea was driven away. 
Its waves were rolled back and it disappeared so that the abyss of the depths was uncovered and many shaped varieties of sea creatures were seen stuck in the slime. The great wastes of those valleys and mountains which the very creation had dismissed beneath the vast whirlpools, at that moment, as it was given to be believed, looked up at the sun's rays. Many ships were stranded as if on dry land and people wandered at will about the remains of the water to collect fish in their hands. Then the roaring sea, as if insulted by its repulse, rose back in turn and through the teeming shoals dashed itself violently on the islands and extensive tracts of the mainland and flattened innumerable buildings and towns or wherever they were found. Thus the raging conflict of the elements, the face of the earth, was changed to reveal wondrous sights. For the mass of waters returning when least expected killed many thousands by drowning, and with the tides whipped up to a great height as they rushed back, some ships, after the anger of the watery element had grown old, were seen to have sunk. The bodies of people killed in shipwrecks lay there, face up or down. Other huge ships, thrust out by the mad blasts, perched on the roofs of houses, as happened at Alexandria, and others were hurled nearly two miles from the shore. So... So that, that was a tsunami. That was a tsunami, but it was preceded by a thick succession of fiercely shaken thunderbolts. This is the odd thing about mm -hmm. it. Well, we've already talked about people hearing these booms and mm -hmm. associating them with tectonic movement. So on this one, you know, without any more definitive information, you'd have to you'd have to leave it open. It could be yeah. that it was just one of a really horrible earthquake in the Mediterranean. And what, what year was that? That was in 365. Okay, so we're talking about the same time period when there were obviously overhead meteorite oh. uh, explosions and meteorite impacts on the ground. Well, that, 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 was that whole on. year, yeah, remember I read this yeah. list of, uh, of the numbers of comets that were seen in that period of time. And uh, there wasn't one, well, there was one in 363 from the list here. Mm -hmm. We've got 349, 358, 363, 374. Uh, and then another in 374, one was Halley's, et cetera, et cetera. So well, basically what, you, what you're reading there and what you're, the historical, historical record shows that what we're seeing today was more or less happening, uh, you know. Oh, you, you ain't seen nothing yet. Ago. You ain't seen nothing yet. I mean, back to that uh, that major tsunami in Indonesia in 2004, December yeah. 2004. Killed a quarter million people. Yeah, 250,000, 300,000 people. And all the stuff that's happened since then, and it has been together with, it, they've all been happening together with these fireballs, increasing weird weather, increasing earthquakes, volcanoes, and all sorts of upsetting stuff, you know. Um, so I just find it very, very interesting. But one of the things <clears throat> that I wanted to ask you, Laura, was um, how how all of that kind of, how, how this climate change or earth changes uh, that, that, that we're talking about, how it ties into the idea of an increase in fireballs and comets. But before you answer, we're going to go to a commercial break so you have something to think about it. And then after the commercial break, we're going to have a musical interlude. So we'll get into that as soon as we get back. Since ancient times, great civilizations have risen and fallen. The biblical plagues and the collapse of the old kingdom of Egypt, 
the plague of Justinian and the collapse of the Roman Empire, the Black Death that devastated Europe. Could similar catastrophes strike our planet again? Laura Knight Yadchik's latest book, Comets and the Horns of Moses, provides compelling evidence that the course of human history has been defined by extraordinary and devastating cosmic events. Drawing on her extensive study of history, religion, psychology, and physics, Laura uncovers clues hidden in the great myths, ancient astronomy, and the works of the Greek philosophers to unveil the secret knowledge of the ages, cyclical cosmic catastrophe, the periodical return of an extraterrestrial threat whose power moved mountains, reduced magnificent cities of old to rubble, and left the most powerful emperors trembling in fear. Comets in the Horns of Moses is a groundbreaking work that sheds light on our dark ages to reveal a timely warning to humanity. The clock is running down on our civilization. Comets in the Horns of Moses, available now for purchase from all Amazon websites. Brussels sprouts or any other veggie that insults my mouth. 
That was uh, Making Bacon by Relic. We're going to be talking about Making Bacon later on in the show a little bit. And uh, <clears throat> you'll see it it, it, it relates <laughs> to, to the topic. I'm waiting to see how you're going to do that. I'm going to segue into that oh, yeah. very sneakily. But, um, yeah, so our question beforehand that I, that I wanted to just talk a little bit about was maybe some people don't fully understand the link between Comets and increasing comet, cometary fragments, meteorites, uh, meteors in the sky, and all of the Earth changes that we've been seeing. And the question is, do they relate? Are they related? I mean, from a historical record, they seem to. Well, have some... I haven't even, I haven't really even gotten into my historical record. Well, you've hinted. You just let me, you just let me have two items here. No, well, you can have another one. Go. Well, yeah, well, just hold on, I'll get there. I'm going to have more than one. But uh, yeah. The, the other day, I caught a news item that uh, people were making fun of some news anchor on mainstream television who uh, apparently asked, uh, "Well, does this have any? Does this meteor explosion in Russia have anything to do with global warming?" And everybody made fun of her and laughed uproariously, and as they should have. <laughs> <laughs> I did. Well, the funny thing is, is in her. In her uh, obliviousness, she actually hit on something very, very important, uh, that there is probably and possibly something, there's a strong correlation between uh, the climate change on the planet and the increasing fireball flux. And one of the things that we have been chronicling on SOT for quite a few years now has been the fact that all of a sudden Jupiter acquired many, many, many more moons. I mean, it went from 12 to like 64, mm-hmm. and then there were moons added to Saturn, moons added to Uranus, I think, you know, whatever. And all of this was coming along and with the increasing fireball flux around our planet. So there was the other thing that was noted was that there was global warming going on on uh, Mars, Venus, Probably Jupiter and Saturn, they're having unusual weather uh, anomalies there. So there was just, it's like a solar system warming thing going on. So, you know, on the one hand, if you you want to say uh, the Earth is experiencing global warming simply because it's it's involved in a period of fireball flux due to the uh, torrid meteor streams, which are the remains of uh, the... uh, breaking up of a giant comet, according to the theories of Victor Klub, and he has some pretty good scientific backing for that idea, so don't dismiss it. But there seems to be more than that, because it doesn't seem that just having the Earth in passing through a dangerous period in terms of comet streams, you know, the Earth itself, uh, could warm the solar system, all the other planets of the solar system, so I suspect it's something that has has something to do with uh, more like electrical activity, like uh, uh, plasma physics uh, would explain it better than anything else. And that's something that I've written about with the help of a of, of an expert in my 
uh, book Horns of Moses. So uh, if if you think I sound like I know what I'm talking about when I'm talking about the Electric Universe, it's only because I got help on that one. Um, but in any event, the material is there. And I do think that there is a definite relationship between um, this global situation on our planet, the fireball flux, uh, the uh, erratic weather, uh, the strange things going on in the skies, and also, very important, the quiescence of the sun. We are supposed to be in a raging maximum. I don't know about the, you know, if you guys were paying attention to the last solar maximum, but I was. What was it, 2003, 2004? Mm-hmm. And, I mean, it was like every day, X-class flares, X-class, X massive X-class. You know, I mean, and and disruptions in electronics and computers and telephones and radios and TVs and tele, you know, the whole thing. And you know, you could know, you knew that when something was screwing up. Oh, there's another flare. You know, we're getting another storm, getting another magnetic storm, and then boom, boom, boom. And it was just really an incredible solar maximum. Well, here we are. We're in the middle of a solar maximum. We can hardly get a damn sunspot going. Mm-hmm. I mean, and every time one shows up, one sunspot, a uh, massive uh, 12 earth size sunspot, you know, I mean, I'll give it a rest. I mean, you look at the sun now and you compare photographs of the sun and the sunspots now to the sun and sunspots of past solar maximums. I mean, it's just wanky. It is mm-hmm. just not even, yeah. it's not even worth talking about. So, so here's the question. Uh, a low number of, or, or a low, low solar activity has been associated in the past and during the Maunder minimum with extreme uh, cold. cold. Yeah. But so the the sun influences Earth's weather yeah, in, but in many different ways, else but something else it is influencing the sun. Because we have we have we do have global warming. We have simultaneously global warming but the quiescence of the sun. So something is causing our, you know, my my theory is, well, and I've been been you know collecting some data that supports it, is that the rotation of our planet is slowing down infinitesimally, mm-hmm. and this slowing of our planet is causing a slippage of the lithosphere, uh, while the you know the core continues to spin at the same speed, which increases the internal heat. This internal, this, this is where the heat is coming from. It's coming internally, and it is coming up through the, you know, 75% of the planet is covered with water. So, you know, we see a certain number of volcanoes erupting on land. Well, just imagine, you know, the 75% of the volcanoes that are underwater, and there are reports of these massive underwater eruptions going on. The seawater is being heated. Methane gas is being released. Uh, CO2 is being released. All of these things are being released in the atmosphere while at the same time the space, you know, around our planet, around our atmosphere is getting colder. There's electrical friction probably from this uh, this comet dust because we, we are definitely in um, a, uh, a comet flux period. We're in a stream of the breakdown products of a giant comet. So these are having electrical effects on our planet. The sun is doing weird things. There's several things coming together. It's like a it's like a biorhythms, you know, triple bad day. And it's very complex. It, it's very complex. It can't be answered simply. And I am not an expert on this topic, although I do have access to experts who answer my questions 
which is why when you read my books, you're going to be getting you know information that comes from experts who may not necessarily want to have their names revealed, you know, in in terms of giving these opinions and ideas to me. But that's what I think. I think that there is definitely a connection between the fireball flux and the weather, and it has been growing and increasing for. A long time, uh, Victor Clue back in the 80s predicted that during this period we would be really in a dangerous time, and he predicted this, you know, a long time ago. Uh, the fact that we have the same effects, and I have hundreds of pages of testimonies from ancient texts of what was going on back then, uh, prior to the fall of Rome, that tell us that it was exactly identical to what we're experiencing now in terms of fireball flux, uh, earthquakes, weird weather rainfall, floods, um, all kinds of weird things. So I don't think it's chemtrails. It's not chemtrails? I don't think so. I'm, I'm going to go and commit suicide now. I was heavily invested in chemtrails being the, the explanation for everything. But, Joe, can't you see them? I see them every day. Yeah, do you see the crisscross? <clears throat> I was in a plane once that made them. Oh, yeah. I was, you were involved. In fact, every, every plane I was in made them. <laughs> Some people say there are contrails, but I was like, no, this plane has been retrofitted to spread chemtrails. I saw them out the back of the plane. But, um, well, there's a, uh, we got a message here from uh, someone called Pashalis. Uh, and he said, maybe, he said, maybe some other body is grounding the system. Well, that's what I propose in... Um what does he mean by that? Yeah. Well, um, basically, what does he mean? Let's, well, we're talking about a possible uh, solar companion, say a, black, a brown dwarf or a red dwarf. Uh, nemesis. Well, yeah, it's kind of the nemesis thing. Well, it's not. It's not kooky science. I mean, it's up there on uh, on NASA's website. You know, it's but a theory the possibility of a twin. That yeah. We live in a binary system, a binary solar system. But the thing is, is what we've got going on, like I said, we do have, uh, I mean, Victor Kloop's predictions for this period of time and his mathematical retro engineering of the orbits of very, various comet streams and meteor streams is pretty compelling evidence that there was a giant comet that did break up and that many of our meteor meteorite shows that we have periodically through the year because we pass through these streams. And his prediction based on statistical records um, that we are entering a very dangerous period is holding up really well. So there's that. But there is also the other problem. That cannot explain why the other planets in the solar system are having uh, climate change. It can't explain the quiescence of the sun. Mm -hmm. uh, however, a companion body, a large uh body like a, a giant planet or a, or a small uh, dark star, brown dwarf, or whatever, could explain that. But it would be grounding the system outside of the system. And I don't know if you all are familiar with any of the electric universe ideas. Um, most of it's very good material, but, uh, you know, I take exception to the idea that uh, – at some point in time, you know, Jupiter and Saturn were much closer to the Earth and Venus, and they were all, you know, ditty bopping around like, you know, uh, the little rascals, you know, on a Saturday afternoon together. Mm -hmm. uh, because the point, the fact is that the ancients referred to this giant comet by the name of Saturn, and when it began to break up, then there was born 
a whole bunch of uh, offspring of Saturn, including uh, you know Zeus and the Titans and all the many other cometary bodies that became gods in the sky. And, and you can easily understand after you after hearing that um, that recording of the explosion in Russia, you can understand why people thought that this was God. This, I mean, that was the thunderbolt of Zeus. That was you know Thor's hammer. Um, mm-hmm. That was the thunderbird of the Native Americans. You know, they th- these experiences were worldwide, and nearly all the stories about them are extremely similar. You know, these giant birds, and the, even even the Tunguska event. Now, and I've uh, recounted this in my book, Horns of Moses. Uh, not long after the Tunguska event, you know, some of the tribes of the area already had created a legend about it that it was a giant bird. You know that there's, and they had a name for it. You know, so uh, giant birds in the skies, um, thunderbolts, uh, Thor's hammer, uh, these these different things and when you look at the ancient images of some of these so-called gods like um Ninurta who was the equivalent of uh Saturn you see them holding these things in their hands that are supposed to represent their thunderbolts but you look at them and they are plasmoid shapes mm-hmm. and you see the same things in in many many carvings many uh ancient cult images and so forth so Bottom line is, is there's more going on than just the Earth passing through that danger zone predicted by Victor Klub, although his prediction is very useful to us. There is something else going on. The system is being grounded, and it means that uh, the very thing that normally protects us from cometary events, which is the the solar wind, the solar radiation, you know, the... um, you know, our own magnetic field, which is lessening, and I would say it's lessening because the the power of the electricity is being drawn off out of the poles of the sun, you know, outside the system rather than passing through mm-hmm. the planetary bottom, bodies in the system, which is lessening the magnetic fields. So we're losing our magnetic field. We've lost uh, the sun's uh, normal, you know, extremely powerful, you know, bursts of solar wind and so forth, which normally protect us from comets. So we've lost our protection at the same time that we're in a very dangerous period. And whether or not there is there is a uh, solar companion and whether or not it has sent further giant comets into our system, we don't know yet. But we know we've got six new comets in the last... Yeah. Um, they're calling 2013 the year of the comets. Yeah, so, and, and I mean, there were years of comets back then, too, and they were followed by extremely unpleasant events. Uh, yeah, know. like pustules? <laughs> no, Joe. Stop using that word. Uh, well, what, what, what's the association between pustules and um, comets? Because plagues come with comets. It's it, you mean uh, historical it's all fact. It doesn't. It's not shaping up as a really pretty picture here. You just said that we're l- losing our protection at a very dangerous period in Shields time. Shields down. Shields are down. When, Shields are down. When the Klingons are coming and uh, kind of something like that. Yeah. And uh, who's doing that? I mean, that's not. That doesn't sound very fair. I mean, well, shouldn't our shields be up? Yes, dangerous our period shield- in time. I sh- you know I'm I'm working on developing some ideas about that based on information theory, and uh, 
you know, you're just going to have to wait for the next volume for that. I've got most of it all written and it's all put together, but you're going to have to wait for the next volume. Has it got anything to do with human beings? It has a lot to do with human beings because information theory, human beings are information capacitors. And when there are six, seven billion of us on the planet and we're not capaciting properly. Then our shields are down. Or, yeah, it basically, basically brings the shields of the planet down and it makes us very vulnerable. And that's also something that shows up in the historical record. The corruption of Rome, the events that were going on in Rome were exactly identical for their time. Consider this was a very... Uh, uh, a very uh, commercial and active society. They were. They had, you know, manufacturing plants. They mass-produced goods. You know, they shipped them all over the known world at the time. I mean, this was this was not a, you know, just a, a bunch of guys, you know, running around in armor. Mm-hmm. Um, they um, they were quite advanced for their time, but their corruption. It, you know, I swear, and, and this is not the only period. That preceded a dark age that has this, these uh, these markers, these signals, because it seems like whenever human beings get a certain way, begin to behave a certain way, when their rulers, their kings, and so forth, their elite begin to behave a certain way, and the human beings themselves do not take care of things, do not stand uh, against it. Stand against it uh, they fail in their function as capacitors, and the shields fall, and boom. And you have to understand that after the fall of Rome, uh, Europe did not recover or begin to recover, begin to recover for 300 years. The Dark Ages. The Dark Ages, and it's really dark. And I have even discovered, I think, that... Uh, a couple of things that are claimed to have been written during that time uh, probably weren't because I've discovered some falsification of the history that's going to be presented uh, either in the next volume or the one after that. But They were probably probably written much later, in fact. Well, anyway, let me, let me give can – I, can I just give a few more of these examples? Go on, then. Go for it. Okay. 447. Remember the last one we talked about was 365, and that was uh, that was the big tsunami with the thunderbolts. Okay, so mm-hmm. now we're in 447. We're almost almost 100 years later. Okay, because like I said, these things take place over time. We've been in this process for a while, and I would even suggest that because of the uh, the the rapidity of the way things develop in our uh, civilization, whatever happens this time is going to be much bigger and much faster than it happened then. Because, I mean, you got to realize back then, if you wanted to send a message from Rome to, say, uh, Britain, you know, it could take a really, really long time. Now we can do it in in, in, a, in a nanosecond, mm. see? So anyway, what he says here, and this is from... Um, the ecclesial, Ecclesiastical History of Evagrius Scholasticus. And he says, At this period, the much-reported war was stirred up by Attila, the king of the Scythians. He didn't call them the Huns because there was a, there's, a, there's really a kind of a big dispute. Were the Huns Scythians or vice versa? Priscus recorded comprehensively and with exceptional learning, narrating with great elegance, 
how he campaigned against both eastern and western regions, which cities and how many he captured and destroyed, and after how many achievements he departed this world. Now, while the same Theodosius was wielding the scepters, a very great extraordinary earthquake, one that surpassed its predecessors, occurred throughout the whole habited world, so to speak, with the result that many of the towers of the royal city were laid flat, and the so-called long wall of the Chersonese collapsed. The earth gaped, and many villages sank into it. Again, there were many, indeed innumerable misfortunes, both on land and at sea. And whereas some springs were rendered dry, elsewhere a quantity of water was sent up where there was none previously. Entire trees were upturned, roots and all, and numerous mounds were instantly turned into mountains. The sea hurled up corpses of fish, and many of the islands in it were swamped. Again, seagoing ships were seen on dry land when the waters retreated back. Much of Bithynia, which is in uh, northern Anatolia, which is like northern Turkey today, and the Hellespont and both Phrygias suffered. The disaster gripped the earth for a time, not continuing so violently as at the beginning, but gradually weakening until it had completely ceased. So this was uh, a fairly severe uh, sequence of events that was going on there. Um One of the translator's notes says that the earthquake struck on Sunday the 26th of January 447 as reported in the Chronicon Pascal. Extensive damage is attested at Constantinople. It is said that the event was commemorated annually by a religious procession. The long walls mentioned are those which defended the Gallipoli Peninsula, not the outer walls of Constantinople, which were constructed after this earthquake. So, there is evidence that this actually took place, mm-hmm. as the chronicler described it. 455, this is uh, from 447 to 455. How many years? Not 10, it's eight years. Yep. During these times, a dearth of rainwater occurred in Phrygia and Galatia and Cappadocia and Cilicia, so that from shortage of necessities, men partook even of more harmful nourishment. Consequently, plague arose. They fell sick from the change of diet, and as their bodies became bloated from excess of inflammation, they lost their sight. Remember the previous plague where people lost their sight? So, you know, he's trying to explain it because uh, they changed their diet. But, you know, somehow I I just don't really buy that. Uh, Their bodies became bloated. They lost their sight. Coughing supervened, and on the third day they departed life. Now, Now, remember, this is a chronicler who's trying to blame this on people changing their diet. For the time being, it was impossible to discover a remedy for the plague, but the universal Savior, Providence, granted relief from the famine for the survivors by pouring down nourishment from the sky in the unpredictive year, as they did for the Israelites. It was called manna, while in the following year, granting the crops be brought to fruition of their own accord. Um, you got to understand, a lot of these chronicles, they will... There was a war going on between the pagans and the Christians, and everything bad that was happening, the pagans were blaming on the Christians. The Christians were saying that they were being tried by God because, of course, they didn't blame it on the pagans necessarily, or they or they would blame it because the pagans were persecuting the Christians. So they had a war going on, so everything that was happening was being spun one way or the other depending on who the writer was, and that particular writer happened to be a flaming Christian, and 
Yeah, that was a chronic on Pascal. So they put a spin on it. You know, he doesn't want anybody to think that, uh, uh, you know, that uh, there was actually a plague being inflicted upon people. 457. We just did 455. Now we've only got two years go by. There was a violent earthquake that shook more or less all the inhabited earth. In this earthquake, the Phoenician city of Tripoli was completely knocked over. Now, before we had uh, Constantinople, now we have Tripoli being knocked over. 457, 474. Uh, there was the biggest fire ever in Constantinople. The fire was from sea to sea. The emperor fled and stayed away for six months. Ash fell like rain from the sky and agglutinated on the ground and on the roofs as thick as a span. At that time, Cyzicus was knocked down by an earthquake. It was completely destroyed and many of its inhabitants perished. A large number of towns and villages also fell. However, they were not as destroyed as Cyzicus. Um, a footnote, and this is from Michael the Syrian. I don't think this is even in English, but anyhow, a footnote in the French translation says that this ash was from an eruption of Vesuvius. May or may not have been. Then we've got events in 474, 475, an earthquake in Thrace. Many countries were destroyed. The fear came upon all those who saw the calamity, and everyone thought that the end of the world was near. 491. This is getting really close, you know. At the beginning of the reign of Anastasius, there was an eclipse of the sun. There were also many grasshoppers. 498. Locusts came on the country and destroyed everything. In the same year, there was a violent and mighty earthquake. Nicopolis was destroyed, except for the church and the bishop's house. Buried all the inhabitants. Except for the church and the bishop's house. Yeah, how likely do you think that is? In the same year, a sign like a spear appeared in the sky. And again, on the very same day of the appearance of the sign and of the earthquake. Now remember the sign and the earthquake, same day. The warm springs of a barn stopped flowing for three days and then returned to flow as previously. Also, the river Euphrates stopped its flow on the same day. The great temple of Arsimasata on the day of the gathering fell as a result of the earthquake. At that time, there was an earthquake, and the hot spring of a barn had dried out. So we have another um, another version from the Chronicle. Then there's the f- year 500. The sun darkened for eight hours. Eight hours. This was not an eclipse. The earth was covered by dust, as if ash or brimstone were scattered over it. And on the same day, another sign appeared. In the wall of Edessa, there was a breach in the wall south of the Great Gate the stones from that place being scattered to a considerable distance. In the same year in November, three signs appeared in the sky in the middle of the day. <clears throat> and let's see. In the same year, in the month of January, another sign appeared in the sky in the southwestern corner resembling a spear, which some people called the broom of perdition. Others called it the spear of war. 501, there was famine, an attack of locusts, severe plague. 502, a great earthquake, the Ptolemaeus, Tyre, and Sidon were overthrown. The synagogue of the Jews was ruined and fell. And in the same night of the earthquake, which took place on the 22nd of the month of August, at the dawn of Friday, a sign like a burning fire appeared in the northern quarter of the sky. Ah, that's... So what are you trying to say, Laura? Well, I've got... 50 pages 
of this stuff. Fifty more pages that make it pretty clear that it uh, it got worse and more and more frequent to the point, and it, and then of course at a certain point the plague of Justinian came, which took out uh, probably eighty percent of the population of, of Europe. Or of the Roman Empire, what was left? Oh, the Roman Empire, yeah. So I would say that the big killer, I mean, by the time, after 540, 542, nobody hears anything at all from the Western Empire. It just goes silent. It's not even mentioned again. Mm-hmm. Not even mentioned again. Nobody even, I mean, it's like everybody is, of all these chronicles, are they're they're studiously ignoring the existence of the entire what amounts to the entire country of France and Great Britain and Spain and you know Italy yeah and you know what a lot of people don't know is that up until the 19th century Rome was covered under like something like nine meters of mud Rome had to be excavated mm-hmm. and the same was true of the palace of Diocletian in Croatia uh, the Temple of Olympia. In Greece, these places were covered. I mean, there's something, something really, really. So, so what? When when reading these historical accounts of these kind of cataclysmic events or build up to to a major cataclysm, there's a lot of things about weather in there. There's talk. It talks about you know, in the midst of January, it got very warm and the trees were blooming, and then suddenly it froze again and everything was killed. Mm. Or in the middle of the summer, there was snow. So as far as you're... I mean, there is a lot of... And I have collected all of these kinds of things together in here, and some of them I've had to have translated, and, you know, some of them have come from really obscure books, but, you know, I'm basically making it available to the reading public. So reading these historical accounts... You're pretty convinced that what was happening then is happening now. It's very similar to what's happening now, except perhaps maybe now it's in a more of a contracted form. Yeah, I think it's more contracted now, and I also think that you know, due to the fact that comets do fragment, and since uh, much of what's happening is because we're passing through the um, the stream of the uh, degraded giant comet that uh, Victor Klub describes. Uh, back during the time of the collapse of Rome, the bodies that occupied this stream were far larger than they are now. I mean, they have continued over these uh, over these what two millennia? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, fifteen hundred years at mm-hmm. least. To they have continued to degrade. I mean, there's still a lot there, and there's still boulder-sized pieces, house-sized pieces. There's still some pretty big pieces, and we just got one of them the other day. Uh, but during the time. Uh, when Rome was collapsing, uh, the stream was probably, uh, you know, it, it was more concentrated. It was uh, pieces were more intact. They weren't quite so degraded. There wasn't so much dust, uh, and I think that the dust has a lot to do with some of the weather problems we're having on the planet. The comet dust of this stream. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, but what basically overall, you read through this material. Uh, you read about the weather, the you know lack of rain, and then they're alternating with floods, alternating with cold, alternating with heat, earthquakes, fireballs, 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 comets, 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 you know, uh, thunderbolts, et cetera, et cetera. So it was a pretty active time, and it was fairly identical to what we're experiencing now. Yeah. Okay, we have a call here. We're going to take this call. Hi, caller. What's your name? Uh, how you doing, Joe? This is Brian. 
Hi, Brian. Where are you calling from? I'm calling from Maryland. Maryland, okay. Welcome to the show. Hi, Brian. Yeah, thank you. I'm calling from Maryland. Maryland. Um, my, my question is, well, in the context of what you guys are saying about uh, cosmic events impacting human history, the uh, Robert Schock did a talk on EU 2012, talking about the Rongo Rongo script, yeah. and he drew a parallel between the script itself and plasma formations. Oh yeah, and you know archaeologists, I think it's archaeologists are saying that that is an actual language. Uh, archaeologists would say that. Yeah, so I'm wondering, I mean, if you take that as an assumption. Hey, Brian, can I interrupt you there and just ask you to turn down your speakers? Yeah, we're getting some feedback here. So if you turn off your speakers, we should be able to hear you clearly. Okay, that's good. All right. Go ahead. Yeah, if you take that as an assumption, then that would mean that, I mean, it's an assumption, though. No, that, sure. You know, very language itself comes. Our very language formation has been uh, guided by the cosmos itself. I uh, would have to. I would have to kind of agree with you. I think, yeah, that's, there's a good chance that there's some some definite influence. All right. Uh, I'll have to uh, develop my thinking on that. No. Yeah. So, well, let, let me just point. Let me just tell you really quick a little story about archaeologists, and it's in a, a book called I think it's called um, Oh, geez, can't even remember. But anyhow, it's by a, a geologist, and he was attending a conference with a bunch of archaeologists, and he was uh, they were showing him where they were digging, and he said, "Well, look at that. That's the evidence of, of an earthquake, and it happened." You know, and he was able to tell them when it happened that it happened between you know, some part of their dig and some other part. And they were just so shocked and so rejecting of this idea because archaeologists, you know, don't like to talk about any kind of cataclysmic events affecting any of the processes of history. Historians also don't like it. And um, one of the reasons being is that there was a really famous uh, book written by a French uh, archaeologist, uh, oh, God, why can't I say his name? But anyway, uh, he collected this massive amount of evidence that many of the processes of history uh, were affected by, you know, cataclysms. And what they told him was that couldn't happen because the earthquake you're talking about would have had to be so big that it's just completely unimaginable. Well, of course, he couldn't understand what he was all. What he was seeing was that there was earthquakes in place after place after place. He was talking about the collapse of the Bronze Age. And he couldn't uh, he couldn't understand it himself. He was just presenting the evidence. But anyhow, they basically drove him out of town, um, you know, ruined his career, destroyed him. And archaeologists took a lesson from this. And ever since, they and historians have uh, basically denied the you know these kinds of events in their work. So they're completely hampered. They're unable to explain what they see and what they deal with you know, as a matter of their profession because they are so afraid of being ridiculed. Hmm. Yeah. All right, Brian. 
Thanks for your right. call. Thanks right. for listening. Read on, too. Keep on. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, uh, Hang on. We got another call here. Oh, yeah? Okay. Think. Hi, caller. What's your name and what's your question? Hi, my name's Betsy. Hi, Betsy. How are you? We're pretty good. Are you good? I'm how good. You I'm how just you doing, here honey child? To your... hmm? I'm sorry? I said, how you doing, honey child? I'm doing great. <laughs> All this talk about comets and earthquakes bringing back memories. Yeah? Um, yeah, this region we're in here back in the beginning of the 1800s, I'm sure you know this, Laura, because you do all the research, but we had the New Madrid earthquakes, earthquake. Absolutely. Which created, you know, Real Foot Park and um, just tremendous earthquakes. And they were also accompanied by a comet. Um, I think they called it Tecumseh's Comet. Uh-huh. And at the exact same time, you know, this, this huge comet, which evidently comes around every 3,000 years or so, they have these New Madrid earthquakes, which, uh, according to people here, um, were so forceful, they blotted out the sky. Um, the Mississippi roll supposedly ran backwards yeah, for like three days to make Real Foot Lake. And you can still, I go to Real Foot Park every now and again for events, and you can still see the effects of it. So this oh, is yeah. the first time we've been this route. No, and it's... Uh... It, the the difficult thing is is to try to place a marker at the beginning or the end of something because it goes on really all the time. It's just that there are certain periods that are particularly intense. I mean, I've read some work that suggests that the Great Chicago Fire was caused by, uh, you know, comet fragment impacts setting things on fire, that there were just some really extraordinary and unusual things about that. Really? You mean that cow got a bum rap? Yeah, the cow got a bum rap. Oh. Yeah, Mrs. O'Leary did too. Figures. So, uh, yeah, so it's, uh, you know, the only thing that we can say at this particular point in time is the intensity, the increasing intensity. And, you know, I suspect that there's going to be another one of these Russian events, only it probably won't be in Russia next time. And it might be bigger. And it. You know, we would hope that it would happen in some area that's uh, not populated. Uh, or I'm not going to say <laughs> I'm not going to say where I wish it would happen. <laughs> y'all can I, y'all can guess. I'm just wondering if comets or meteorites have a kind of surgical strike capability. You know, pinpoint accuracy because Capitol Hill. I wonder Hill if they're would, conscious. Yeah, Capitol Hill would work for me. You know, and just in localized. Yeah, there are maybe they can are. aim themselves. Yeah, maybe they're attracted to certain personalities. Yeah. I mean, I did read about one guy who got hit eight times. Was it? Oh, eight I, times by lightning. That was yeah. like. Yeah. But there was this guy in Turkey who got three or four uh, meteorites. There was a guy in Serbia who says his house has been hit on six separate occasions. By Seriously, that wow. that's just he, so freaking he's bizarre. He's freaking out, and he uh, he reckons there's conscious direction. He says the aliens are doing it to me. <laughs> he needs to move. Yeah, seriously, I would. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting too that during the New Madrid earthquakes and that comet, we were also at war. Of course, America's all oh, at yeah. war, so that would be yeah. kind of hard. When to, are we ever not at war? Yeah. That's true. It would be easier to find a time, you know, harder to find a time when we weren't at war. Yeah. 
Well, there is one book that I just read recently where they compared the assassination of Julius Caesar to the American Civil War. So if we're not only compressing our time, but we're also, you know, relating events uh, or to the assassination of, of Abraham Lincoln, uh, sorry, uh, you know, we've been well on the path for, you know, a couple hundred years now, and... Uh, uh, if the time is foreshortened because of um, uh, because of the you know the changes in the system, you know we could be looking at some fairly interesting things this year, next year, next few years, whatever. Yeah, we're even getting tornadoes in these mountains, and that's that's unheard of in the in I, pretty yeah, much I anybody's have, lifetime. No, yeah, never. North Carolina never got. Mount uh, tornadoes. Mountains don't get tornadoes usually, and you don't have tornadoes in winter time. You know, it's just weird. Yeah, we had a tornado in the Appalachia in January. That's not normal. No, that's not normal. No. So. Well, anyway, just thank you for the wonderful job y'all are doing. Well, are we coming through loud and clear? You know, we've been really doing some work on our sound sound systems here, trying to make it so that. Uh, uh, we don't have the audio problems we've had before. Yes, you are. Very much so. Okay. okay. Sounds Good great. You can hear all of you. Excellent. Good job. Thanks for calling. Thanks for calling, Betsy. Thanks, Thanks a lot, y'all. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. So we got a message here from a um, uh, person, I presume it's a person, called Erratic Patterns. He says, he or she says, I'm thinking about the underground bases in the light of all these signs of cometary activity in the form of fireballs and so on, is it possible that many of the alleged bases of the military-industrial complex oops, you know, um, it just... It just broke off? It went away. It went away? No, hang on. God, that reminds me of a line from a movie. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it went away. I think I can see where he's going here. Yeah, no, hang on. No, uh, <laughs> is it possible that the many of these alleged bases of the military-industrial complex, underground bases, and other countries are related to a sort of deliberate refuge, at least? Um, basically, what he's asking is a deliberate refuge in in the time frame of Tunguska. Oh uh, that, well. At that, at that time, the the idea of cometary impacts and stuff front and center for the elite of this world and that well they... there's there are suggestions in the uh in the historical record that that's true um there are i mean there there clearly are some massive underground facilities in various places and i think we we talked about that a little bit in the last show when we were talking about that movie 2012 you know about all the elite you know having some kind of arc to get on and and they had to pay billions of dollars for their place and everybody yeah. else was just screwed but you know i'm not sure that they really have have their heads screwed on straight because they've got this seed vault in svalbard sweden uh which will probably be covered by 6 miles of ice uh if things you know hold true to form and I'm not sure that they've taken uh, taken into account, you know, plague, which uh, could very well take. I mean, if you know, one little bit of plague down in little one of their underground facilities, and they're all dead in there, nobody will ever find them. It'd make a nice, you know, mausoleum. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, and as a follow-up, he just says. Um, 
uh, if that's the case, what else uh, can normal people like us facing such a facing such a deluge of fire do about it? Well, let me make this perfectly clear. <clears throat> Making bacon? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> let me. We just saw, you know, the effects of one of these events. We know about Tunguska. Um, we're talking about something that is highly localized. It could be bigger and worse, but it'll still be localized. Um, you know, it, it's not like the whole planet. I mean, that's what I was saying. It's not the end of the world. Uh, when you look at what happened to Rome, my suggestion is that based on the evidence that most of the people died because of plague, not so much because of comets, but the comets probably brought the conditions you know, comets are comet dust. They brought the conditions. Uh, they stress the environment, you know, dust veil events, uh, changes in the climate, because th that was, you know, very marked during that time. Those kinds of things can bring on food shortages. Food shortages, of course, uh, mean that people are more vulnerable to disease. Um, one of the big things about, I mean, if 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 you don't want to think that comets bring viruses themselves, which is one of the favorite theories of several, you know, very eminent scientists, um, then at least think of the fact that hunger and crowded living conditions are great breeding grounds for the uh, mutation of viruses. So uh, we're looking um, at uh, and what can diet do to. To help, uh, well, the thing that we've been one of the main things about the collapse of Rome was that, uh, first of all, it was noted that the poor died first, uh, and the poor lived basically on little more than bread and water, maybe a few vegetables, a few boiled vegetables. Uh, the one group of people that survived better than any other group, and the reason why uh, Europe took shape the way it did after, uh, you know, things began to, you know, recover, were the Germans. The Germans uh, had a much better survival rate, and the main thing that we can note about them is what Caesar wrote, which was that their diet consisted almost entirely of meat. There's also a story of the survival of a tribe of Arabs thanks to the efforts of the grandfather of Muhammad who obtained meat to give to the people and they they lived on broth on a meat broth uh along with you know he got some grain for them to have bread with their meat broth but they lived mainly on broth uh with bread and the majority of the deaths, as far as I can see, were Italy and all of what's considered to be modern-day France and Spain. And their primary diet was uh, grains and vegetables. So you can draw your own conclusions, but from where I sit, the historical record is loud and clear that the people who eat meat primarily survived and the vegetable and bread eaters died by, you know, Died like a plague. Mm -hmm. So the meat eaters had a more, a more robust immune system, perhaps to well, defend off. Well, I, you know, I can't make a, I can't make a determination about that. It, it just basically the fact is that the meat eaters survived, and the veg, vegetarian or vegetable eating, grain eating people died in massive, massive numbers. 
So the few pockets that survived, uh, pockets of survival in France and Spain, and you know there there were pockets, uh, were probably meat eaters. Right, and even though that kind of has a relevance for today, with um, we've been talking about all these floods and droughts uh, causing uh, a decreased crop yield in recent years and the price of food going up. Uh, of course, that includes the price of meat, but for if people were to transition to a kind of a meat-based diet, you actually end up spending a lot less on your food because you eat less. Well, yeah, because even though the price has gone up, you're 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 eating less because you're not buying this cornucopia of of kind of grain-based um, and carb-based products that cost much more overall than just what would be a, a you know a few pieces of meat or, or a limited amount of meat every day and leave out all the fancy, you know, cereals. You, and you were deliberately bringing this around to bacon. I knew it. I'm just saying. This I is, knew it. This is why saturated you fat. You warned us. This is why saturated fat is where it's at, as the song says, you know, uh, and why people need to be making bacon or at least eating bacon and other meat products because, as Lawrence just said, the, um, there's a lot of historical evidence that people who ate meat in times of hardship survived uh, and, and a, well, lot that, be, a lot better than other people. Well, it's it's even mm. proposed that the reason that the the Arab uh, civilization arose and was able to uh, conquer so much of the Western world at the time they did was because they survived better because they were eating goats and camels mm-hmm. and whatever, and they were eating. And, and the legend, particularly, it specifically says, you know, broth. So you can, you know, my experience has been that, you know, as a confirmed meat eater uh, who eats almost no vegetables ever wouldn't, you know, I mean, those things are evil. Uh, You know, I I eat once, maybe twice a day and I eat a whole lot less. So you can take a piece of meat and some bones and make a big pot of soup, you know, with a, a nice meaty soup. And if you want to thicken it with something, you know, thicken it with some potato starch or whatever. Um, and that will, fat is very important. And have lots of fat because if you have plenty of fat going in, you're not hungry. You don't eat as much, and and that'll feed a lot and nourish a lot more people than trying to feed them all a bunch of carbs that don't really nourish them in the same way, and they need more well, of them. Well, yeah, well, carbs are the carbs cause cancer. They feed cancer. They cause they're basically uh, sugar. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, you know they're very bad on the colon. Um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> the funny thing well, is. During uh, times of an ice age, this is largely the diet people would have had to have eaten. Yeah, it was not only the diet that they were eating during ice ages, it was a diet that we made most of our evolutionary leaps on. Uh, Cooking food and eating meat is what made us human. And... uh, you know, I mean, the they they keep talking about oh we should be, eat like our close relatives, you know, chimpanzees and gorillas. They're all vegetarians, you know. Well, there's still chimpanzees and gorillas. May I point out? Yeah, I just heard a collective gasp of horror from a bunch of vegetarians listening in at what you just said. You think? Yeah, that it's all about eating meat and that we evolved eating meat and evolutionarily speaking, we we made our, our leaps. Yeah, as human, not as humans, because we were eating meat. Yeah, it's true. It is, but Laura, yeah. you can't just tell the truth like that. I mean, people will get shocked. Well, I'm sorry. All right, they'll forgive you. All right. So, um, 
Yes, that's what, that's one of the the reason I was bringing that up also was because a lot of people are writing in and saying what can we do and stuff and and one of the things yeah. people can do if we're looking at price you change your diet buy a canner canned meat well that, that's the other thing is it's not just a matter of changing over to a meat based meat based diet but and reducing your carbs but also taking into consideration the fact that there might be a food shortage, including meat and stuff, and preparing for that eventuality. There's nothing, there's nothing, you're not going to lose anything by, like you just said, canning meat and putting some away because you're going to use it anyway. Right. It's almost so, like the environment is saying you have to adapt because mm-hmm. there aren't going to be vegetables and grains available for you. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're seeing food, rise, food prices skyrocket everywhere. Um, as a result of crop failures, which is a result of environmental stress brought climate on climate change, brought climate on change. by what we've just said for most of the show. Yeah, and one of the, one of the interesting things that just occurred to me was that when people, the average person, when you bring up these um, weird events, weather, weird weather, extremes of cold and heat and stuff, they look at them in isolation and say, well. You know, if it's wintertime, they say, well, it's wintertime. It's meant to be cold. There's meant to be a lot of snow. If it's summertime, well, it's, you know, we've had heat, heat waves before. And so they, they explain it away by saying it's all happened before. And in a strange way, they're right. But it's happened before, all of these things together, 1,500 years ago, like you've just been saying, Laura. And it pointed to something much more serious than, 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 than what they think or what they understand. So they're right in, in, in looking at it from the point of view of, yes, it's happened before, but you don't look at it yet in that sense and dismiss it. You look at it when, in, in, the, in the context of all of these things happening together in such, you know, in such a few years and what it actually meant to how it ended the last time or what, what happened as a result the last well, time. Well, I mean, you know, it, it just makes you want to go biblical. You know, Matthew 24. You Testify. Know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there will be... Famines and plagues and pestilence and earthquakes and place after place, wars and rumors of wars and signs in the st- in the heavens and the sun will be darkened and the moon will not shed her light. You know, and I'm just you know doing this off the top of my head, so forgive me if it's not all entirely accurate. Mm-hmm. You know, and then you'll see the sign of the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven in great glory and brilliancy and splendor. It sounds like a comet to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the funny thing is, it wasn't so much divine inspiration that got those words down on paper. It was because it was they experienced, experienced it. it. Yeah. Exactly. Been there, done that. Yeah, they were talking about it because there were also some events. Uh, there is a really strong suggestion that the destruction of uh, Jerusalem wasn't actually accomplished by the Roman army, although they were there, but that there was a little uh, cosmic blast going on. There's a lot of places that were uh, receiving cosmic blasts during that time, and I, you know, you know, it's just killing me because I can't read all of these things because there's so many of them. It just goes on and on and on. My God, it'll all be in the book. So, and then there was the the 536 dust veil event. Do you realize that the sun hardly shone for an entire freaking year? That there was that, that that there was so much dust in the atmosphere from some terrible event somewhere. They didn't know where it happened because they didn't see it, but they got the dust, a dust veil, and it was so thick that the moon, uh, the sun looked like the moon all day long 
for an entire year. There were no crops. Hmm. Nothing grew. You know, people were wandering around. And then four years later, boom, plague. That must be so so terrifying. And the the difference now, if there is one, is that we can know or at least have some idea about Globally. why these things take place. Yeah, if we knowledge were to... can can mitigate that terror and help well, us deal with it. Well, it can it can mitigate that terror to, to for people if they get up to speed pretty quick. But the problem is, is the you know the authorities don't really want people to have that kind of knowledge because the thing is, is whenever whenever things start happening that are basically out of human control, humans are very egotistical creatures. And they think that they should be able to control anything. Uh, so when things start happening that are out of their control uh, and their uh, constituted authorities are not able to protect them, and remember these constituted authorities are constituted for the express purpose of protecting them. Mm-hmm. Well, if there is something that they can't protect them from, people begin to look at them and say, wait a minute, you're not protecting us. Maybe you're the cause of this because there's a really, really deep instinct inside all human beings or uh, most of them anyway. You know, kind of like a religious impulse that um, the cosmos is is either friendly towards us or not based on our behavior. And if things are getting yucky out there and the authorities are not able to do anything about it, then people tend to think that the authorities are to blame for this affliction that comes upon the earth. Which, as as we discussed in last week's show, that may well be the case. It may well be the case. Like I said, human beings are capacitors. If they're suffering, and they're suffering under uh, a regime that, advocates torture and drone attacks and mm-hmm. and violation of, of human rights mm-hmm. and uh, that sort of thing. That is the very thing that in the time of Rome appears to me to have attracted its destruction. And I don't mean destruction by some other country or by terrorists or whatever, because they were all talking about terrorists then, and they were all talking about assassins. They had the Catalan conspiracy and blah, 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 and they had 50 years of... You know, warring and going on back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And then, boom, you know, they're in the middle of a freaking war when all this stuff starts happening. And then silence, silence. The whole Western Empire disappeared. And then the the Eastern Empire continued on probably for maybe um, another, another hundred years or less, actually much less. But it was at a greatly reduced level. The only thing you hear about is what was really going on in uh, Constantinople. And it's like the rest of the world had ceased to exist. Mm-hmm. So, well, they brought it on themselves, in my opinion, but that's just my opinion. And I think that, uh, you know, if people really, really wanted to do something about, you know, things like that, they wanted to stop it or they wanted to be prepared, um, you know, th- that's something to think about. Uh, that are are our leaders leading us over the cliff. And on that note, I think we're going to end it because we have uh, reached our two-hour time mark and I think we've done a fairly good job of 
talking at least about this. We may not have produced much, many answers, but we've, we've certainly discussed it and thrown a few, around a few ideas. Um, if anybody has any questions, they I, I want to read one more. Oh. Yeah. All right, this can be a final one. A closing statement. A closing statement from the history 518. Books. 15 years or thereabouts, or 18 years before the Dust Veil event. A star appeared in the east, similar to a huge spear. The point of the spear was turned downwards. It revolved in a frightening way, and long rays were seen by everyone to come out of it. It was called, according to the Greeks, a comet. Fear overwhelmed everybody who saw how awfully it arose, looked and shone, and how it revolved and altered in a threatening fashion, so that many people would talk about many things they thought to be imminent in the future, a chastisement, war and perdition, all of it because of the terrible appearance of the star. Nor was there any delay in these things. Many afflictions followed quickly, along with war, causing much bloodshed. Also, what is most grievous and bitter, it soon brought about turmoil, dissension, disagreement, persecutions, killings, and other evils. And that's from the Zuckman Chronicle. And on that note, we will leave it for this week. Thanks to all of our listeners and for our callers. We'll be back again next Sunday with another show. I hope you can join us. Thanks for watching. Keep your eyes in the sky. At the big tent. Thanks, Anna. Thanks for being here.